The Idaho Technology Council presents Innovation Matters, a look at innovators, rule breakers, and thought leaders from across Idaho. From our studios in beautiful downtown Boise, here is your host, the CEO and founder of the Idaho Technology Council, Jay Larson. Hey everyone, this is Moshe Herman with the Idaho Technology Council, sitting in for our normal host, Jay Larson, for this week's episode of Innovation Matters. On this week's episode, we're going to talk about the 2022 Idaho Technology Council Hall of Fame, which took place November 2nd at Boise Center uh, here in downtown Boise. Uh, if you weren't there or weren't able to join us, we, it was so great to be back in person after so many years of hybrid and virtual events and to really kick off the return to in-person events. We uh, inducted former Micron CEO Steve Appleton into the ITC Hall of Fame. You know, for those of you that are not from Boise or the Treasure Valley, Steve Appleton was truly, you know, an icon in our in our city and in our state. And uh, he really brought Micron to what it is now. And it was such a touching and, and wonderful uh, tribute to him to have him inducted into the ITC Hall of Fame. In addition to having Steve Appleton inducted into the Hall of Fame, we also featured our first annual Innovation Awards sponsored by uh, Scoggin Capital Investment, which showcased uh, new and upcoming individuals and companies and innovations hailing from across the state. We also had awesome words from Senator Mike Crapo. We had uh, Micron CEO uh, Sanjay Marotra come up from California to inter- to induct uh, Steve Appleton in the Hall of Fame in uh, so, so many other great things. We have had so many wonderful keynotes over the years, and the 2022 keynote is really, really no exception. Uh, this year's keynote was brought to us by former uh, Idaho Governor, Mayor of Boise, Congressman, and Secretary of Interior Dirk Kempthorne, really just came in and tied the evening together. I mean, I am so excited personally and from an organization to share this audio with you guys, and I hope you really enjoy it. So without further ado, here's the uh, keynote speech by Governor Dirk Kempthorne from the ITC Hall of Fame 2022 in its entirety. Please enjoy. Thank you very much. Uh, In June of this year, when Jay first suggested to me that would I be able to come and speak at this wonderful gathering, I was honored that he would ask me. Honored because it's a prestigious group. Honored because I believe in technology. And also honored because we're honoring Steve Appleton, somebody I admire greatly. Um, I believe in technology. I think you heard some of that in the introduction, as does Mike Crapo, Mike Moyle, the mayor, the governor. Um, I was a NASA kid. What's a NASA kid? means that every time that there was a space shot, my mother got the three boys up. I was nine years old when Alan Shepard was the first one to go into space. 10 years old when John Glenn circled the Earth three times. The three boys huddled on the couch. You can imagine how it was to ultimately be elected to the United States Senate and serve on the Armed Services Committee with John Glenn. Very cool. So when when Jay said this to me, he said, let's talk about technology. So I began looking on the internet, and I came across something that was very interesting. There was a professor 
of sciences of technology at the computers. And he decided about three weeks into the semester that he wanted to find out what gender should be assigned to computers. And so he took his class and he divided them in half. He put the men on one side, the women on the other. And he said, I want you to talk for 10 minutes, then you come back, and I want to know what your decision is. Well, the men came back, and they had voted unanimously that the gender of a computer is female. And he said, now why is that? Uh, he said uh, the four points. The reason why computers should be spoken of in the feminine gender is because no one but their creator understands their internal logic. <laughs> the second reason is because when computers communicate with each other, they speak in code language that only they and experts can understand. <laughs> the third reason is because every mistake you make is stored on their hard drive <laughs> for later retrieval. And the fourth reason these men said is because as soon as you commit to one, you find yourself spending half your paycheck on accessorizing it. <laughs> well, the women came back. And they too were unanimous, but that the gender should be male. Uh, the reason for that is, first of all, in order to get their attention, you have to turn them on. <laughs> Secondly, they have a lot of data, but still can't think for themselves. <laughs> Thirdly, they're supposed to help you solve problems, but half the time they are the problem. <laughs> and the final reason they gave is because as soon as you commit to one, you realize that if you'd waited a little longer, you could have gotten a better model. <laughs> Now, in this high-tech world, I gotta tell you something. There is so much going on this, on this computer. Uh, where's the clicker, Jeet? Is it here? Yeah. Man, we got everybody's books up here. Here we go. All right. So anyway, Jay, who I love, he then further notified me, I don't know, a month or two later, he said, listen, I would like you to address imagination. I thought, that's very exciting. Imagination. Um, for whatever reason, I, I thought of a story about John Madden, that great NFL coach. And he told the story about Ray Wershing, who was one of the great place kickers. But here's what was interesting. Coach Madden said that he could not figure out Ray Wershing's technique, because whenever he ran out to the field to kick the point after or the extra point, he never ever looked up, even after he kicked the ball. And so finally John Madden said, Ray, I don't get it. Why don't you look up at the goalposts? And he said, Coach, it's very simple. When I address the ball, the goalposts come right up out of those hash marks that are right in front of me. They're wide enough that you can drive two semi-trucks through them. You can kick a ball this big through anything that large. <laughs> but if I look up, they're only this wide. I cannot get a ball this big 
through something that small. See? So that's perspective. So that's what I bring to this. I, I'm not an engineer. I'm not a scientist. This room is filled with them. All of you could be the ones that could properly be giving this address. But I'm going to give you perspective. When you, earlier we saw all of those who have been inducted into the Hall of Fame. It's magnificent. So here's some perspective. That is Union Station, Washington, D.C. In 1903, Teddy Roosevelt signed the act so that it would be constructed. That is the number one place that is visited by people every year. Number one. It's the largest building in Washington, D.C. It's larger than the Capitol, Mike. But here's what's interesting. Take a look at the outside. There are six figures that adorn that building. And the person who designed that was Louis St. Gadon. And what he wanted to do was to define all the pursuits that made America great. And so those six figures do so. The one on the left is fire. Next to her is electricity. On the other far end, far end, mechanics. Next to him, agriculture. Who are the two figures in the middle? The female figure is freedom. The male figure is imagination. And carved in stone right there next to them. Man's imagination has conceived all numbers and letters, all tools, vessels, and shelters, every art and trade, all philosophy and poetry, and all polities. Imagination. This summer I read this book by Walter Isaacson, Leonardo da Vinci. Uh, I'm going to give you just a couple of quotes from that book by Walter Isaacson. He said, I embarked on this book because Leonardo da Vinci is the ultimate example of the main theme of my previous biographies. How the ability to make connections across disciplines, arts and sciences, humanities and technology is the key to innovation, imagination and genius. He said that he felt his mind was best revealed in the more than 7,200 pages of his notes and scribbles that miraculously have survived the ages. He said the most astonishing testament to the powers of human observation and imagination ever set down on paper. Leonardo da Vinci was also a hero of Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs climaxed his product launches with an image of street signs showing the intersection of the liberal arts and technology. Jobs said that Leonardo da Vinci saw beauty in both art and engineering, and his ability to combine them was what made him a genius. Now we think of these opportunities. So tonight, for just a few moments, we're gonna talk about imagination but also innovation and also inspiration. And then I'm gonna bring the nexus to Idaho because that's who we are. 
Now we think of Leonardo da Vinci as this wonderful painter, the Mona Lisa, the Last Supper, this gentleman, this painter. He described himself as a military engineer. He designed catapults, he designed cannon, and those drawings right there, that was his concept, his innovation to defend Venice. He wanted to build a submersible boat, be unseen below the surface, go under enemy ships, put gashes in the hull, and sink them. He never reached final proof of concept. But what, some 500 years later, here was his concept, his idea of a submarine. And here's today. That's a Virginia-class submarine. It's 377 feet long. It is the current submarines that are being built to defend the United States of America. 377 feet long. If you think about Albertson Field at Boise State, it would actually touch the front row of each of the end zones. And it's three and a half stories tall, but then you have the conning tower. 132 individuals serve aboard that magnificent ship. Male and female officers and crew. There's also a section for Navy SEALs so that they ingress and egress while that ship is submerged. No one ever sees them. Uh, it no longer has the traditional tele or periscope where the captain is the only one that may look through there and see what's on the surface. They now use photonic lenses so that in the command center of that ship, they're looking at it on a flat screen. Everybody is seeing it. Oh, and the way that they operate that, the young person that operates that, they're now using an Xbox control box. What used to be the helmsman that would sit there and be strapped in and pushed to bring the planes up and down and turn it left and right, it's now touchscreen and joystick. When we describe this to high school kids, they're interested, okay? They're interested. So it's a great honor to have a ship that is now going to be named the USS Idaho. It's being constructed in Groton, Connecticut. The mayor and Scott and two of your council members, Lisa and Lucy, we were all down there in Norfolk two weeks ago for the change of command of the USS Boise. How is it that a state of Idaho that other than the port of Lewiston has two submarines named for it? Well, post-World War II, there are only two superpowers, Russia and the United States of America. Russia then began the Sputnik program. They were in space. The United States, trying to also get into space, literally could not get off the ground. Our rockets were exploding. There was panic. Panic in the United States. There were those in Congress who were panicked because Russia was touting to the world, communism is the future. Communism has the science and technology. Capitalism is dead. It is a failure. 
Dwight Eisenhower, now as the president, had to deal with this. But remember, Ike is calm. So he went to Captain Anderson, and he gave him a personal top secret mission. You're to take the Nautilus, a submarine, from the Pacific Ocean to the Atlantic Ocean under the polar ice cap. Never ever before tried, never ever could it have succeeded because other than a nuclear submarine, you would not be able to submerge for that amount of time. <coughs> well, what was the outcome of that? Ticker tape parade. Captain Anderson was successful. It wasn't easy, he had to probe because of those tremendous icebergs that were there, some of which were blind alleys. But he did it and the world celebrated because the United States was once again the leader in technology. Why do I tell you this story? Because that nuclear propulsion system was designed and built in Idaho. Captain Anderson, all the members of his officers' corps, and those that were nuclear certified, trained in Idaho. And that was true up and through 1995. If any state has a DNA for the nuclear Navy, it's Idaho. That's who we are. Oh, also, these are the most quiet ships in the world, the stealth. And where does that come from? Well, Steve, you would know. It comes from your neck of the woods, right? That's Lake Pondre. All of the stealth technology to make sure the cavitation sounds don't exist, that the sailplane is quiet, all takes place in Idaho. That's why that admiral said that the U.S. submarine force's most important body of water right here in Idaho. So... Let's throw a little art into this as well. Oh, and before I leave that, one other little footnote. Sun Valley Lodge, during World War II, U.S. Navy Convalescent Hospital. For all those brave sailors that were injured. And Farragut State Park was the second largest naval station for the United States of America. Over 331,000 sailors went through there, Idaho. Okay, so they say that in addition to all of the attributes uh, that Leonardo da Vinci had, he was a charming conversationist and a lover of nature, bless you, <laughs> renowned for being sweet and gentle to both people and animals. They say that often while passing through the grand markets where there would be the caged birds for sale, Da Vinci would buy the caged birds and then open the gate, reach in, and release the birds to the wild. Now, but he was also somebody that was amazing in his ability at theatrics and his voice. They say that he had the voice that both sacred and secular music was 
far better than any performer of the courts of the Medicis or the King of France that he performed for. The voice might well be similar to what we would have heard with Luciano Pavarotti, who sold 100 million albums. The world loved Pavarotti. Guess what, 2001, Pavarotti came to Boise, Idaho. <laughs> and at the time I was governor, and I was seated next to Tibor Rudis, his manager. And I said, Mr. Rudis, how is it that we were blessed to have Pavarotti come here? And he said, I will tell you. He said, we had a, a theory we wanted to test. We said we knew that class and culture existed on the East Coast because we'd been to New York and Boston, Washington, D.C. We knew it existed on the West Coast. We'd been to Los Angeles and we'd been to San Francisco. But we didn't know if culture and class permeated the interior part of the United States of America. So he said we used some imagination and we got out a map and we looked at the United States of America and we found this place, this place called Boise, Idaho that had no major media market around it. And we thought, let's go test. I said, how'd we do? Oh, he said, did you notice how the maestro, how he is talking to the audience between the different arias that he sings? I said, yes. Do you notice how he's joking? I go, yes. He goes, he only does that if he's comfortable. He said, I've gone to concerts where all he does is sing. That's it, and then he's out. But he said, then when he invited you to sing with him on one of the arias and you knew the words, you blew us away. <laughs> the combination of technology and art, and my goodness, the things we have here, the ballet, the Philharmonic, the Shakespeare, opera. Do you know how many states are starved for that? You know how many employees ask to be transferred because their families are starved, because they don't have the culture? Sanjay, we have it. He also then loved flight. These again are some of his drawings. Now if you look at that, you may say that I put the slide in backwards. I did not. He was left-handed and he wrote from right to left. His aerodynamics were so advanced. It, it's incredible what he did. Um, many people say that his design on aerodynamics led to what would ultimately be flight. He loved to watch the thermals. He loved to watch the birds that could do the stoop. And as was pointed out, some of these birds are very fast. Dr. Philip Richardson of the Royal Society wrote that Leonardo's observations, sketches, descriptions of bird flight were a major step forward in the study of aerodynamics. His aerodynamic concepts were amazingly advanced for the time. During his time, falconry was extremely popular. The Medicis, the kings, popular still today. 
That, that is the fastest animal on earth. No other animal can hit 242 miles per hour. That's also on the Idaho quarter. I took a little heat for that. <laughs> Didn't I, Mike? Yeah. Um, but in the 70s and 80s, the world almost lost the falcon, the Peregrine falcon. It was on the verge of extinction. Extinction. Magnificent creature. But then two people, Tom Cade, Bill Burnham. Where? Boise, Idaho. Where? Birds of prey. South of Boise. They began a program of captive breeding. Nothing on that scale had ever been done before. Today, if you happen to be in New York City and you see a peregrine falcon on a high rise, or if you're in the Grand Canyon and you see a peregrine falcon, the chances are enormous that the birds you're looking at are the descendants of what we did in Boise, Idaho. That's innovative. Morley Nelson worked with Idaho Power because many of these raptors were being killed, electrocuted when they landed on the power lines. But working together, private, public partnership, they came up with the design so that it no longer happened, and now we're utilizing that same thing. For example, in Mongolia, thousands of miles of the new lines had been put in, and they're electrocuting hundreds of raptors every year. But because of what we're doing out of Boise, Idaho, they're beginning to save them. I'll also just say as a footnote, I was proud that as Secretary of the Interior, I was able to delist the American bald eagle from the endangered species list. It is back. <laughs> da Vinci wanted to fly. That's his design for what would be a, an airplane. I mean, look at that. It's sophisticated, amazing. When I was governor, one of the programs I had was just a small little program. And Mike, you'd remember this. But it was innovation grants for teachers. The requirement, one page. Send it in. What would you do with $1,000 in your classroom? that would be innovative. If you received the grant, the requirement was once you did the project, one page, what was the result? We had, we had teachers throughout the state that did this, it was exciting. One of the projects that took place, and they invited me to come to it, is they took the class and they made teams of four, and everybody was given a two-foot section of PVC, two little engines that could work underwater with remote control and glue, and they were told, design an underwater vessel that you can direct subsurface. But here's the kicker. 
They were not allowed to put it in the water until the day of the test. It had to be all of their own imagination and design. What would work? I went to the YMCA. They had a couple of their classmates that were in the water to retrieve them, and I watched. Some of them were successful. Many were not. When I asked the kids, what would you do differently? They said, number one, those propellers will never come off again. They were losing their propellers. But there were other things. They said, we want to design it so it, it comes to a point. The key here that I think is important is they never got a second round. They never got a second round to now take lesson learned, you see. Um, Boise High School, there's a wonderful teacher, uh, Mrs. Erin Galanato, who's head of the science program at Boise High School. And they just had a program <clears throat> where she had the science students design catapults. And it was simply to launch fruit, whatever fruit you wished. So they went out onto the field, and some of them had small because they're only going to launch blueberries. The largest fruit, pineapple. But she required that they had to keep a scientific journal and showed all the calculations of accurately affirming what was the distance, the height, and the speed. All physics. The kids loved it. One of the other programs that she has is uh, rockets. Launch an egg, but bring it back safely, uncracked. These are the sort of things that we can do to encourage the youth that we've been talking about. It's the sort of thing that I think Steve Appleton would have loved. I can see Steve out there on that field, and he'd get right down with those kids. He was competitive. He would have determined and asked, what is the largest fruit that's being launched? They would have said pineapple, and he would have built one that launched a watermelon. <laughs> Steve, as I said, was competitive. There was a South Korean company that wanted to put Micron out of business. It was the last DRAM company in the United States. Mike, you'd remember this. Many's the time Steve would be in my office and we met on this. Um, that South Korean company took on the wrong CEO. <clears throat> and they took on the wrong congressional delegation because Steve Appleton was successful. And Ward, you know all about this. Um, he did so many things for so many people. I remember one time Jason Kreisenbeck asked Steve if I could unveil at the state of the state message the fact that Micron was diversifying. It was when they had that small pill, Sanjay, that you would swallow and it would go through the di digestive tract filming what's going on. So that night, where I'm going to give the state of the state, I 
announced it, and uh, the, the legislature all had dinner together. And I told members of the legislature, now that we were in the big chamber, in the, I said, some of you were randomly selected, and we placed the pill <laughs> in your food. Now, don't be concerned, because we will get the cameras back. But it's going to allow us to, in real time, monitor your reaction to my speech. Uh, some took it seriously, and a few left early. So, uh, Amy Kleiner Roberts, who worked for him, did a great job. But on one occasion in Washington, D.C., um, she was training for a marathon, and that particular night she needed to do that one last run before the marathon. But because the meetings went until dark, she had to run at night. And so she, she went to the mall, and there was Steve. And he said, you're not running alone at night. And so he ran with her in his wingtips. And she said, I could not keep up with him. That's the quality man he was. Um, Scott Ludwig. Scott, you mentioned that uh, when you'd just gotten out of law school, you guys, you were buddies, and you started an investment fund where you put in $50 a month. And at one point, Steve said, hey, let's put all $400 into Micron. And somebody else said, are you crazy? Well, he was not crazy. So, um, and then Kip Bedard mentioned too where he broke his thumb, his right thumb, and so went on competing, playing tennis with his left hand. Uh, that's who this man was. That's what he did. He's also, at times, was under great pressure to relocate Micron, and he always refused. Why? Because he loved Idaho, okay? So, with this tribute that's gonna happen very shortly for Steve Appleton, there's a poem that I've always loved, and I'd like to just dedicate it to him, to Lynn, um, and then I'll close my comments. It's called High Flight. Oh, I have slipped the surly bonds of earth and danced the skies on laughter-silvered wings. Sunward I've climbed and joined the tumbling mirth of sun-split clouds and done a hundred things you've not dreamed of, wheeled and soared and swung high in the sunlit silence. Hovering there, I've chased the shouting wind along and flung my eager craft through footless halls of air. Up, up the long, delirious, burning blue, I've topped the wind-swept heights with easy grace, where never lark nor ever eagle flew. And while with silent, lifting mind, I've trod the high, untrespassed sanctity of space, put out my hand, and touched the face of God. I hope in this perspective where we have talked about imagination, innovation, inspiration, and the nexus with Idaho, you realize with this empirical evidence 
that if there's a fertile place where innovation and imagination can flourish, it is Idaho. It is who we are. Embrace it and take us to the new levels. Esto perpetua. May it be forever. Thank you. Wasn't that speech just great? I just wanted to take a quick moment to thank our Hall of Fame 2022 sponsors, Idaho Central Credit Union, Micron, Regents, Boise State University, Scoggin Capital Investment for our wonderful first annual Idovation Awards, and Nick Sparris. Lastly, I just wanted to thank my ITC uh, staff teammates, uh, Shmuel Kalki, Hope Swan, and of course, our CEO, Jay Larson. If you guys have any questions, comments, concerns about the show, please feel free to reach out uh, on our website, idahotechcouncil.org. Also, uh, feel free to take a look there, see what we've got going on. We've got some wonderful wonderful events coming up uh, in the first of the year. Vision Idaho is going to be January 19th, Develop Idaho February 16th, among many other great things. Anyway, thank you guys for joining us and keep innovating. Innovation Matters is a production of the Idaho Technology Council. For membership information and to get involved, visit our website at idahotechcouncil.org. Thanks for listening and helping us transform Idaho's future together.